Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Domestiques. Uh, we've actually dropped Mike Tomalaris again. Uh, it is becoming a regular occurrence, but, um, you know, if there is any IT support that is in the Sydney area that we could hire on a on a no-charge basis that could support Mike for these uh, podcasts, that would be great. But we, we miss you, Mike. But we have a very valuable replacement, um, uh, not a domestique. I think he would be the leader of the team. Um, we're excited to include uh, our special guest today. But before I get to him, I just want to say hello to Hollywood. How are you going? Um, terrific. And Mike, he's too tight. He must be on prepaid and that's why his internet's no good. So stop being tight, um, Mike. You're with Lord <laughs> Manette. You're a millionaire. So just don't do prepaid. Get proper internet from Aussie Broadband or somewhere. So a massive thanks to Ord Manette, Tony Insurance and Black Sheep Cycling. But I don't want to keep our guests waiting because we've got a heap to rip into and rip in, I'm sure Hollywood will do today. He's a bit heated, ladies and gentlemen, so look out. Um, we are, of course, joined by Scott McGorry, OAM Scott McGorry, uh, a gold medalist um, in the Madison at the 2000 Summer Olympics, of course, held in Sydney. Uh, he was silver in the Madison at the 1996 Track Cycling World Champs in Manchester and a bronze medal at the 1988 Summer Olympics in the Team Pursuit. He's also represented Australia in the Commonwealth Games um, as well. And, and, and of course, it just must have been amazing to have been a part of the, um, the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. And now currently, Scott McGorry actually uh, runs or oversees a lot of the um, National Road Series cycling, which, you know, I think would be great to talk about. And then, of course, he is pretty much the voice of track cycling alongside Kate Bates for a lot of the uh, track cycling we see in Australia. So, um, Scott, welcome to the Domestiques. Thank God you're holding this together. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, getting your insights, I think, for just, yeah, what a lot of the Aussies who are overseas racing. Where is track cycling up to? We've got a ripping show today, which will, of course, include, which you were listed on, congratulations, the top 50 most influential people in cycling in Australia. Mm, yes, g'day, guys. Um, look, yeah, don't speak too soon. I'm not sure if we'll be able to hold the fort, but, um, yeah, hopefully Tomo does does come back at some point. Um, yeah, and look, I know there's been a lot of talk about that uh, that 50 most influential people in Australia, um, cycling in Australia. There's been a lot of talk this week about that, so I'm, I'm interested to, to take your, hear your take on it, that's for sure, yeah. Well, I think we might get straight into it. So what ha so Escape Collective, um, which was the, I guess, off offshoot of, of um, Cycling Tips, which was led by, founded by Wade Wallace. Wade took the um, bold move. He, they, they had been the most influential 50 list of the USA in cycling and Wade this uh, past week released a list of the most 50 most influential people in cycling who have affected Australia, Hollywood. You've got some strong thoughts about it. Keep it PC. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, well, what an absolute bullshit list. Honestly, <laughs> absolute nothing. Uh, due respect to Scott, ha three quarters, half to three quarters of that list, like the Scots, the Matt Keenans, the Jerrys, Ali, these guys and girls 100% definitely deserve, uh, should be on it. But honestly, some of these names on there, I had to ask 
ChatGPT who they were and even ChatGPT didn't know, so I had to Google them. It's just, honestly, I love Wade. I, I know him, but he's out of touch on this one. He's done it for clicks and he's entitled to do it, but it is an absolute bullshit list. It should be renamed Wade's 50 friends and associates because it is absolute <laughs> bullshit list. Honestly, guys on it that work for Wade. Oh, how how funny. He works for Wade, one of the guys on it. Who's a good guy, mind you? So no, it's just and it's not it's not a top 50. It's not an it's not in order, but we'll put one to fifty. If it's not in order, Wade, put it alphabetical order then, because it's bullshit. The list is bullshit. Wade, Wade is a friend of mine as well, so I think that's why I'm on the list. Yeah. No, no. Well, obviously oh, I'm not Wade's, a good friend Wade's of Wade. A friend but, uh, of mine. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, I so, like Wade. Don't get me so, wrong. Don't get me wrong. I see him on the hell ride now and again, and we've got mutual friends, and I like Wade, and that's the honest truth. Um, but honestly, that list because I only because I'm a, I'm very old fashioned. I read cycling. I subscribe to cycling news, and I read it every day. So I don't know anything. Of, I know I know it's his escape, but I don't read it. But I just had a lot of messages saying I can't believe you're not on this list because I. He hasn't got a clue my influence. I influence influences, so <laughs> it's absolute bullshit. Matilda, you've seen you've seen it firsthand. I have in Adelaide seen the impact. I have seen so the impact. Any, and but um, um uh, mate, I think I think uh, one one thing where you probably were left off Hollywood was that I I did read you know I guess the word of influential and what it means and and to narrow it down even further Wade mentioned that he he thinks it should encompass the spirit of being positive and in the service of others and a lot of people won't remember that you were the president of St Kilda Cycling Club when it was uh, probably the most successful club in the country and of course the that's positivity history, the positivity that you bring every day and 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 the masses that were chanting your name um, it was terrifying in, in Adelaide however there are a couple of other names I think that were notably let, left off the list. Above mm -hmm. all, I would say Donna Ray Zelensky. And I think that's just more of a reflection that she hasn't possibly had an impact on Wade or really close people to Wade potentially. But Scott, Donna Ray, there's, there's someone who really has like, who has had a personal impact for generations of particularly female cyclists. I would say there's probably not a female cyclist that's come through who is currently at the high end of the world tour. It hasn't been influenced by Donna Ray. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. Look, Donna Ray, absolutely. Um, the thing is, right, so what I've been observing this week is so much of this conversation around this particular list is I think just misreading what the list is and people are automatically mm. because it was numbered as as you said Hollywood it was numbered so people have been more automatically assumed that it is a top 50 list where it's not it's in the title it's 50 of the most influential people he might have 150 people on his list but he's narrowed it down to just 50 mm. for now that he sees as influential um, so, yeah, I think he's getting criticism where it's not due in the fact that it's not an actual top 50, you know, in my eyes. Let me throw some other ones at you. Matt Wilson and Hank Vogels yeah. doing a very similar mm. role in what they're doing with events and, and riders. Karen Jones events, John Trevero over the many years. John Trevorrow, definitely. Rupert Guinness, Mike, like obviously Mike was left off there, but I'd probably say SBS as a whole and potentially he captured that in mentioning um, Gracie Elvin and Matt Keenan, but certainly SBS as, uh, as a whole in that and 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 probably um, Tracy Gordry and those sort of people as well behind the scenes who, you know, she was the vice president of the UCI and really paved the way for female administration in the I sport. I think it's more current. 
I think it's more current Matilda. So that's why, like, my yeah. uh, obviously being with St Kilda is no big deal, but now I'm current co-president of Beach Road Cycling Club. <laughs> a, no, a little club, it is true. It's a cycling club called Beach Road Cycling Club, which I'm a member of. But obviously, like, with myself, myself this podcast, a Bicycle Australia magazine, emceed all the classic events around Mel, uh, around the country. You've and heard when, Hollywood. When, pro- people, when people come into town, they check in with me. The pros... Uh, when they come into town, they check in with me about what rides, and I influence influencers. I'm behind the scenes. I'm ride for a leap this week at charity. I do variety bikes for kids. I'm everywhere deep around. But anyway, I'll get over it because it's a bullshit <laughs> list, except for the good people on it, like like Scott McGorry, who's a, a friend of mine as well. But there's some of those people on there. Like honestly, I just look at it and go. They're in there for self-interest. They do nothing for the sport except line their own pocket and they're bullshit entries and it just infuriated me. But anyway, we'll move on to positive yeah, stuff. Yeah, there is, there is a bit of that, I, I must say. And, and look, you know, with your colleague in Tomo, who maybe five years ago um, would have been included on that list, but now mm. that he's not working in TV, um, you know, so we're talking about current mm. people. I know another friend of mine yep. had a, a lot of people comment on his post on this topic on Facebook this week and – People were getting on and talking about Phil Bates, who was incredibly influential back when he ran the Commonwealth Bank Classic, but that hasn't been around for for 25 mm, years. Um, so, you know, how far mm. do you go back? You know, so Hubert Opperman was incredibly uh, influential as well, but, you know, we're going back, you know, 50, 60 years. So this, yeah, it, it is a, a – they're not – disputing um, your claims, Hollywood, but, yeah, there are people mm. mentioning names that are not as influential right now as they were four, five, six, seven years ago, yeah. It's just to suck up to his mates and clickbait. It was a great conversation. I, I do feel there's probably a few people who were a little bit hurt not to be uh, acknowledged because <sighs> the thing is with uh, cycling as well, I'd say, Scott, is it it is made up of volunteers and people who put their time ahead of any type of money or, you know, and, and it, like we look at um, Pat Shaw and Bridge Lane and the staff that oh, run definitely. Bridge Lane, like they they don't even get paid like to do that. They mm. literally are doing that off the back of their, if anything, it's costing them personal money and and income. So, um, yeah, it's it, I, I, but it did yeah. ignite a huge amount of conversation, I think, yeah. um, which yeah. is, you know, what you want. Yeah, it is. And then look, you know, for us that are involved heavily with, say, National Road Series, et cetera, this is something I try and remind people of quite a bit is is that as good as the NRS has been or could be, it's, it's not in a great place at the moment, but hopefully it'll get better soon, um, it is still also one niche part of the sport. And the people that come through the NRS to turn professional mm. is less than 1% of the National Road Series peloton itself gets to turn professional every mm. year, each generation. So... Um, it may not be as influential as what people think. You know, okay, all the riders mm. that have gone through the World Tour have gone through the NRS, but if it's one or two riders per year and we've got 4 million people that ride bikes in Australia, it's a pretty small percentage. You know, there is a much larger group mm. of people out there that we can be helping um, or getting involved in cycling more than just focusing purely on that top, you know, 0.1% of people. So we've got to be mindful of that as well, yeah. you know, because like, we are so heavily involved in that elite level of racing that we think it is the be all and end all. And it's something that I really noticed when I finished racing as a professional, I thought the professional scene led the bicycle industry. And then I went to the um, the trade show in Taiwan one year um, when I was with the Drap Pack, managing the Drap Pack team. And so I went to the, the big trade show they have there and realized just how big the bicycle industry is and the professional scene 
is just a really small part of it. You know, the industry that goes on behind the racing is so much bigger than the racing itself. So sometimes we think we're bigger and more influential than we actually really are in terms of the grand scheme of of bicycling and and riding bikes. I think we'd all have a very separate list if we oh, uh, did yeah. our own own influential uh, um, list on that, but we can probably all It'd agree SBS would be, be on all that. all my friends think, on my list. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Wade did a great job. I better get on there. I better get on there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just your um, wardrobe, mate. Thank you. Your speak- wardrobe would be on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Speaking of um, state of play, Scott, I know Mike, you know, he he was really wanting to have a ding-dong battle with you um, about track cycling. I think uh, knowing what his sort of thoughts around track cycling uh, were is that back in his day and when he was covering track cycling as well, you know, they're really household names. You, yourself was included in that. Um, I know I grew up idolising Anamirs and I didn't really have many female idols um, growing up and we have lost a couple of those names and um and there's even you know one piece that i want to get your thoughts on scott is that i you know there's rumors that track may be struggling to hold its position in future olympic games um as well so what is your thoughts from behind the scenes and someone who is ear deep in 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 track cycling um the state of play there at the moment oh yeah look the track track is struggling um there's no no denying it it is struggling and Part of the reason, as some might think this is ridiculous, but part of the reason, I think, is because the Tour de France has become so big. So the Tour, we love it. Mm. It is amazing. It's so good for so many things. But because it has become so big, it does dwarf everything else. Um, you know, even to the look at the other Grand Tours, the Giro, the Tour of Italy and the Tour de France used to compete sort of head to head. If you go back through the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, um, and even perhaps even into the 90s, a lot of the Italian riders didn't even want to do the Tour de France because for them, the Tour of Italy was the bigger event. Now, no mm. one's going to say mm. that these days, right? The Tour de France is overwhelmingly the biggest event in cycling, Olympics included. Um, so the, the success of the Tour has hurt other elements of the sport. Um, so and I'm not saying let's, you know, let's pull back on the Tour de France. It's just I, I just see that as factual, that it's become so big that sponsors want to be involved in that event and not in other events. And I see it in Europe, secondary and third level races that used to thrive don't have the sponsorship anymore because they're not as interesting because even the sponsors know that if they're not in the Tour de France, who cares? You know, if they're not sponsoring a team that's riding the Tour de France, who cares? Um, so that has been a bit of a fallout of the success of the Tour itself. And that has certainly hurt track in, in particular, I think. Now, um, from an Australian perspective, there's always a discussion around why all the funding from our cycling goes towards track cycling and not towards, say, road, which is bigger. Um, and that is because you've got to understand where the funding is coming from. It's coming from the federal government. You know, it's the the um, their funding medals won at the Olympic Games. That's their interest. They don't care so much about world mm. championships. You know, they like the fact that there's a Tour de France and they love that Cadell Evans won it but they know that if they put all their money into Australian road cycling, it's highly unlikely they would get a Tour de France winner again. Um, Cadell basically fell in their lap. So what is easier to manage? Track medals. You know, If we can win medals at the, at the Velodrome at the Olympic Games, then that's great for them. So that's why they put all their money towards the track cycling. And Oz Cycling, they don't have a say in that. The money comes to them, $9 million or whatever it is, $10 million, comes to Oz Cycling to be spent on their high-performance program and in the areas that have the better chance to win medals, and that's track. 
Um, now, strangely, from the other side, track cycling in Australia is the third most, most watched Olympic event. So athletics, swimming, and then track wow. cycling. So there's still an interest. People still just love to, it. Wow. Just to add to that, Scott, um, I heard that um, wow. the tickets have com- um, sold out in about two minutes yeah. um, in Paris. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so there's still yeah. a real to interest in that level. Of, of track cycling. Yeah, the, the, the challenge is is outside of the Olympics, that's every four years, right? So the Track Nations Cup, they mm. used to be called World Cups, the Nations Cups now, they don't have as much interest as, as they used to. Um, the next level of competition down below that has even less interest. Interest. It's only every four years that there is this boom for track cycling. Now, it's up to the UCI perhaps to then try and work out what it is. And the Track Champions League that they've run the last two or three seasons now, that is a result of the Olympic broadcast being so successful that they want to try and do something else that will give some interest towards track cycling. Now, I don't know if it's really working, and we don't get to really see it in Australia, unfortunately, the Track Nations League, um, but the concept that they're running, they think is a win. They think it's doing well in Europe to promote track cycling, um, and that's still to be seen, I guess. But I guess in Australia, it's not filtering down to, you know, Darabin, Northcote Velodrome and getting people out there tiny numbers of fields like the state championships in every state there are so few competitors it's certainly not what it used to be and without a a really big effort i don't know exactly what that would be but you really need a big effort to try and build it all back up again what happens with this like you were saying that league before what happens though when you got guys like cal and uh luke platt who obviously ride for jk that's their job and they could that that championship would be a second priority because they might have to go race Tour Oman or Tour or Paris Nice. That's their job. That's priority. So, what time of year do you have these track championships in? Yeah, oh, the championships. Well, they they moved to say Northern Hemisphere Europe, uh, a winter sport some years ago for this, so it mm-hmm. didn't clash. But then the season, as we all right. now know, it has has gone so long, hasn't it? Like the end, the last races of the season yeah. going into October. The first races are in Australia in in January with you know Road Nats and then into TDU and Cadells. Um, Oman and all these races now in the in the Middle East that have popped up as well in the last sort of ten years, that has really crept into the track um, cycling scene. And from from say Kel O'Brien, Sam Wellsford, from an Australian perspective, for those guys, they are getting paid by their road team and the national team. Yeah. So the ARA Australian national team, they are asking permission of their teams of the pro teams to get access mm-hmm. to the riders. You know, and it's really only because of the Olympics still does have some, um, I guess status that they're allowing some mm-hmm. leeway to give them some racing um, in nation's cups uh, and some of the smaller races that they need experience in just to make sure that they will be competitive at the Olympic games. Otherwise, what's the point in even, you know, going if they haven't done the proper preparation. Um, but it is a, it is a real battle between the national programs of all the countries, Italy as well. I know Marco Villa, the national coach, he has the same debate to get Jonathan Milan and Filippo Garner and get access to them to make sure that the Italian team pursuit team can try and defend their Olympic team pursuit title from from three years ago. Um, so every every nation has the same issue, and road has just become again so big, so important, and so prestigious financially as well that um, it's it's a real battle. So it's an internal battle within our sport to try and keep elements of our sport alive. When you were young, what got you into track cycling? What drew you to the to track? Well, it was the first thing I ever saw. So the first type of cycling I ever saw yeah. was mm. going to the Lavington Velodrome, big 488-metre velodrome up in uh, in Albury, 
Aubrey Wodonga and just to watch my cousin who was racing. Um, and then that got a couple of my older brothers into it. Then I followed them and they had a clinic like the Brunswick uh, Club does in Melbourne. You know, they had the school clinic yes. so the kids could mm. go along and borrow a bike. And I just followed my brothers and, you know, started doing well. So track was the first thing. But we didn't know about road. We didn't yeah. see that. It wasn't on TV yeah. like it is now. There was no GCN or any of these other apps out there um, or Eurosport to, to watch any of it. We just go to your local um, local bike track, which almost every town in Australia had a bike track around. If mm-hmm. it wasn't a velodrome, it was around the outside of the footy oval or cricket field. Um, mm. And and there was always racing. You know, it might have been small groups, but every town had a small group of cyclists. Um, whereas all of that's fallen away. So now it's much more difficult to see a pathway for young cyclists to come into the sport um, without seeing it on the road. It still has such a huge allure, Scott, just with um, the that you know the ability to represent your country and to win a medal. You know that is enormous. Um, I think it may, may have hurt it even more just with the Commonwealth Games being cancelled, yeah. you know, that was another opportunity to to really represent your country and uh, and get a medal. That's certainly them and netball really, really impacted. Um, and, yeah, I do, you know, we used to have those household names. I think Matthew Richardson is doing a great job in trying to build a profile oh, yeah. and, um, you know, he's has a rig, fantastic has a rig. personality. Has a rig <laughs> And, wow. uh, you know, and, and, and they're doing great sort of with the media and the social media out of those, some of those World Cup um, events. But, yeah, Scott, the other I had heard there is the potential because one issue which is happening with track is that the technology is now playing such a big role um, in those who are, you know, they're pushing the boundaries so far in what those bikes are coming out with. Like I think I'm not sure. I, I know that you saw the factor bike that was released for the Australian team, but I think that's over 30 grand for one bike or something from, from memory. I can't remember, but what's your opinion on that? Cause it sounds like the, um, the Olympic committee are concerned about that. It's now becoming a sport of riches. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're going to really be cautious about, isn't it? Um, and look, I, I actually ride a factor bike, so I'm a little bit biased. Um, I know Hollywood prefers to ride giants, but, um, um, Cervelo yeah. now. now, is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not for me. Oh, I'm giant. Right. So we've got a good mix here. Two is Cervelo now. Yes, we have. Um, look, it, it is a concern. It really is. So there's, there's a part of me as a fan of the sport that just loves all that tech. You know, who doesn't? Who doesn't like crazy oh, looking? Yep. And, and some of the bikes that have come out, like mm. the, the Lotus Hope bike from Britain, the, the Look, the new bike from Look, People, I've posted photos of those, and they said, "Oh, it's such an ugly bike." And I look at it and think, "Yeah, but it's it's just it's science fiction stuff. I love it. But, I love it." Okay, mm-hmm. but obviously, the the research and development that goes into it, even even the bike that uh, the Malaysians are riding at the last Olympics, that was actually seen as the most expensive of all of the bikes. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you if that's if you're taking the the R and D into it, well, maybe that's a different discussion. Okay, but uh, the same with the factor bike. You know, there's one and a half million dollars apparently has been spent in developing the new bike for the Aussies wow. as well. Now that mm. will be a real hindering factor for the smaller nations going forward. Okay, so what the UCI um, will probably have to look a little bit closer on making those bikes a little bit more accessible. I don't know. I don't like seeing technology limited too much, but I can understand why they need to. Perhaps even a bigger problem though with the Olympics is. To build a velodrome now of, of Olympic standard, you're looking mm. at probably a minimum of $80 million. 
and oh, yeah, venues. Yeah, so what? it's not just a, a board track in wow. a tin shed anymore. It has to be a proper entertainment complex with a velodrome uh. in it. So any nation that's looking to host an Olympic Games, they look at the cost of that mm. one velodrome that maybe won't get used very much. Um, and look, the one that I won on in Sydney, it, it, that's a white elephant now. It doesn't get used very much at all. So there is this fear by some of the nations that are looking to host the Olympics that they don't want to build a velodrome. So that's also a, you know, a negative towards track cycling as to whether um, – oh, actually, I think the, the Victorian Commonwealth Games, I think Victoria took the Commonwealth Games originally because Durban in South Africa didn't want them because they didn't want to build the velodrome. And they were told they would have to build an indoor velodrome. So that was one of the reasons that that fell over. Then it came to Victoria. And, of course, that fell over. The downside to that, like all your small communities from our Commonwealth Games that are missing out, Ballarat, Bendigo, um, you know, the Northeast, Mm. uh, Warrnambool, all these places that now miss out because of that. But if you look at Great Britain and the UK, for the Comm Games, they get split up into Scotland, Wales and England, um, Northern Ireland. Each of those regions had their own high performance program that is funded purely because of the commonwealth games so if there's no commonwealth games they lose all of their regional funding wow. as well so in the uk there'll be this massive gap mm. in the pathway of athletes you know being developed because there won't be a commonwealth games anymore if it doesn't get back up again so these are the little things that uh, i guess that are part of the problem as well that some people don't think. You know, they just think, well, look, the Olympics is bigger. Who cares about the Commonwealth Games? Mm. Well, there's a lot of small young athletes and small countries that care a lot about it. Um, and I actually uh, put a little story on Facebook a couple of weeks ago just talking about my Commonwealth Games in 1998. I did the road race and a couple of days before we get to the course, um, do a couple of laps and we bumped into the Kenyan team and these two guys from Kenya that uh, we're chatting to them, super friendly guys, and they explained to us that, that they were in the cycling team because they had tried out for athletics but weren't good enough, and then there was these spots in the cycling team, so they just went and did that, and they'd only been riding bikes for a couple of months. Wow. We thought, holy crap, you know, these guys wow. are going to be – these sketchy guys from Kenya Kenya are going to be in the race with us. This <laughs> is going to be a bit scary. But they were really nice. We gave them support, you know, gave them some tips. And then the morning of the road race, we bumped into them again and they said, oh, um, we said, you know, wish them luck. Good luck, guys, today. And they said, yeah, yeah, look, we're feeling a lot more confident now because we realised each other's bikes were a better fit. So we swapped bikes this morning. <laughs> right? Oh, now, that's a, it's a crazy wow. story, but that's the sort of stuff that only comes with Commonwealth <laughs> yeah, Games. Yeah. Those nations, they do not exist yeah. in an event that's just that's Olympics yeah, or World Championships. So, mm. um, and we just want to win gold medals, right, or win the Tour de France. But there, there, is, there are a lot mm. more people out there in nations that benefit from these events than the, us that are just trying to win, the, the, win all the chocolates. The, the thing I struggle with with track is I just don't I, I don't understand that there's just so many different events so I don't know what's what there's stuff with a motorbike mm. on the course and there's stuff I like the one thing I did like with in Japan where they're in different colors and they and you can bet on them I like that was sort of cool to watch and then there's the stuff Cal and Wellsford and Platt I just don't know what's what <laughs> we know there's another thing coming there's another thing coming so Derby wheel. So you talk about Japan with the Kirins. Um, there yeah, is an yes. international Kirin series that is mm. about to kick off. I think they're doing their first trials in June 
and it might be July mm-hmm. or August they'll have their first races and there's still whether there's this discussion as to whether the ECI will sanction it or not or whether it needs to be sanctioned. Um, and it could actually even be a situation where riders that go into this Derby Wheel Series might not be allowed to ride um, at World Championships or Olympic Games again. So that, that's something they've got to be cautious about. But basically, it's the Japanese Kirin-style racing, but for international riders in Australia and in different parts of the world, and it's all hinges on gambling. So it's basically bringing, bringing the gambling to cycling. Do you like it? Oh, I do. Look, it's, it's, do you like it? it yep. So one of the most difficult things for the pure sprinters is – to be a professional okay so matthew richardson he's our best he's probably the second best sprinter in the world at the moment behind harry levadason from the netherlands but how much money can he make you know if he doesn't go and do the mm. kirins in japan and make money from that which does hinder your preparation for things like a world championships or an olympic games he hasn't really have an option to be a professional outside of sponsorship whereas the derby wheel might actually give some kind of living to 20, 30, 50, mm. however many riders they're going to put of these pure sprinters, um, not just. So Levreson in the Netherlands, unbelievable world champion. I don't know how many times he's won now. The last five, six, seven, eight years, he's been the dominant force. He would be on big money from his federation, from national sponsors. He's doing okay. But if you go to the seventh, eighth, ninth best pure sprinter in the world on the track, they're not making much money. So this is a way for them to perhaps be properly professional. Now, if you're a road rider, you could be the 80th or the 100th best road rider in the world and still have a good living, you know, as a domestic, Mm -hmm. if you're not one of the champions, um, and still make a really good living. Um, So for the pure sprinters, I feel this this is a great situation for them to actually continue in the sport um, and making a living from it. So couldn't that be a sprinter like a Welsford on a world tour team? Can he translate those skills to road and become a sprinter not, on not, the road? Um, so someone like a Welsford's not fast enough for the, the Kirins. So the, the Kirin type racing, you have to compromise everything that you know of road racing yep. to be just a pure, like you're, it's Usain Bolt. You know, it's just, they're all trying to be Usain right. Bolt. Uh, and, and Usain Bolt's yep. not doing a marathon, gotcha. you know. Um, and the beauty of no. cycling is that right. you can be a fast rider like a Sam Wellsford and still race the Tour de France, as you did last year for the first time. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, Usain Bolt's not going to race in the World Marathon Championships, um, you know, and Wellsford's not going to climb over the top of the mountains with the front group, but there are stages, obviously, that, that suit him. So that's the beauty of cycling is you have so much diversity in that road endurance field that you have your Wout Van Arts and you do have your Pogacas and you have your, your Sam Wellsfords and they're all in the same bike race and on different days it suits them. Um, whereas pure sprinters on the track, Richardson couldn't do that. They, they, they can't. can't. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. And with that, Scott, speaking of people of influence, I think it's Matt Wilson and Ben Kirsten who are uh, behind that league. Is that? Uh, no. So they, they are. Um, it's a different group that are behind that league. Um, Ross Edka right. is behind that. But what Matt and I'm not sure if it's public yet, but they are looking at revamping the National Road Series. So a new a new series. That, uh, that Matt Wilson um, is is put a lot of thought into to revamping the NRS here in Australia. Yeah. Because I think yeah, you saw gonna, something online, get him on. didn't you, Hollywood, um, around yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, there, there was an Insta page or something. Cal yeah, told yeah. me there was an Insta page and yeah. Tom McCulloch. And then um, we are going to get Matt Wilson on when the timing's mm. right. So, yeah, I'm excited to learn and hear about it for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 
Um, and but um, Scott, transitioning, uh, def- definitely a question and end of interest. Um, you know, to have you on the enhanced Olympics. Mm. Uh, so it's oh, come yeah. out in the last week that um, there's the potential to uh, have an Olympic Games where um, you can take drugs. And obviously, James Magnuson has come out to say, if someone pays me a million dollars, I'll get juiced up to the eyeballs, which was difficult to hear. And uh, and yeah, a, a backer has come out to say they'll put the money behind and that um, he wants to have a go at breaking the 50-metre swimming record uh, on drugs. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts? Oh, well, it's just bullshit. Absolute crap. Absolute crap. Yeah, Break it on drugs, who op- cares? Like, not it's not a record then, is it? Yeah. It's just bullshit. And, and all it's doing is encouraging um, the 12, 13, exactly. 14, 15-year-olds coming through mm. that this is an option. That you, we can cheat our way yep. through. It, no, this is just bullshit. This is just some some entrepreneur yeah. that can see that he's going to get an enormous publicity by doing something outrageous and ridiculous. But to what expense? You know, who who is going to be hurt by this? Um, whoever's putting the money in is not yep. going to get hurt because people will watch it. People will be fascinated. You know, they'll want to see what mm. happens. Um, but the flow on effect of this could be tragic. Yeah. It's not a good optic. Some young people would be like could potentially self-medicate or self-dope or whatever yeah. they buy crap online and juice. It's just yeah, not a good optic. Black market drugs, you know, just lying and cheating. Exactly. And yeah. I think what I struggled with as well, exactly what you're saying there, um, is that, yes, James said, oh, you could use it as research, but it sort of made it sound like drugs are safe and it's like, the mm. amount of people that have died, um, you know, yes, obviously just just in general public, but the amount of athletes um, who have died, particularly um, in general, you know, in in some of the, the dark ages of cycling, um, because of the drugs that they were taking, um, and it's just sort of came across as like, oh, you can do it, it's totally fine. You're just not allowed to, and I really struggled with that. And and as you say, Hollywood, the optics of that that it's, um, you know, you can do it. It's you just there's just rules that you're not allowed, and it's safe to do so. Um, so yeah, a good pu- you know, possibly a publicity stunt, but uh, I can't see it getting off the ground. Mm. Well, you get back to the technology, right? So would it be okay if just one team had one of those super fast bikes? And no one else was allowed to. You know that would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is we're talking about something that can seriously hurt people. Um, and uh, yeah, and just that that message, that message to the next generation. Look, I, I struggled at times in the national road series when some some team managers weren't um, being completely correct with trying to win some of the races in the NRS. And I'm and I'm looking at it from coming from where I've come from to the national road series. And thinking, look, this is a development series. We've got a like it's so young. The average age, say, of the men's peloton um, is so young that all those riders are trying to get themselves into the pro ranks in Europe. So they should be taught right from that stage to be doing things as ethically as possible. Don't do sticky biddens for too long. Mm. Don't try and motor pace for too long. Don't mm. be doing, don't try and have a bike that's lighter than the, the regulations. Don't be trying to cut corners. Because eventually you'll get caught out. You won't get that pro contract because you've just tried to cheat your way through. Um, and yet we're talking about, you know, doping. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Mm, mm. Yeah. 
um, on a on a much brighter note and um, taking it back overseas, but with the Aussies, I did want to do a massive shout out to Neve Bradbury. Um, just since we last oh, caught up, definitely. you know, um, Neve's, you know, we all we know her, we know her parents. They're, they've been very involved and in, and in, in, in the cycling scene. But as we know, Neve, um, so she. Um, uh, she she's currently well she was at that stage leading the world tour rankings female wow. rankings um she was wearing the purple jersey which i've sort of been critical before i don't know we, why we need it but it was pretty cool to see that acknowledgement for neve and so she placed second overall at the uae tour after a just ridiculous ride from lotta kapeki oh. who motored her down i cannot think that is what nightmares is made of is turning around mm. and seeing lotta kapeki chasing after you um but for her to win um yeah or play second in the UAE she won the young um, riders jersey you know she's still under 23 and to lead the world rankings at that stage I think such a credit to her because she um had a terrible accident last year in the Juro um, or or maybe it was Rad London, but, you know, it really put her out for the year. She was overseas during the pandemic. Like she's really gone through it. And the fact she's not only stuck with it, but is now showing that she is one of the top climbers in the female peloton when it has never been stronger is just amazing. Like it's so oh, good to see. video gave me goosebumps where she got second and she looks behind and she's dropping Marvi Garcia from um, Jayco or Liv, sorry, and oh, I was goosebumps. It was because I've known her since she was a little kid with her uh, sister Isler at St Kilda Racing at Crits. I used to call them the Williams sisters, like the tennis sisters, because <laughs> they were so good back then. And to see that, and I just thought, oh, I was just so happy knowing her accident last year. It was really, it was beautiful to watch. The, it's it's. The people that have come through adversity like that, they are the ones that really do eventually mm. stand up. And you don't want anyone to have that level of adversity. If you go back no. with Neve, came through you know the Zwift program, and I know in the first half mm. of her first season in Europe, it was a struggle. She really did struggle with the European pelotons and all of that. She was there at such a young age, but she got through that, right? So she learned from that tough time when she first went to be to become better. Um, if you go back to under-19s, remember national championships under nineteen, she got disqualified after winning the road race because oh. a bike was underweight, right? Now, oh, yeah, yes, God, yeah. I, I forgot about that, that one. Right? So, and the, the rider, one. I forget her name now, I, I'm disrespectful of it by forgetting, but there was a rider that crashed in the sprint. Mm. It was a two-up sprint. She crashed. Neve then crossed the line first, got the win, but then was DQ'd for having a bike underweight. Um, and then you go through yeah. the last year's crash, so it's all these things, all these setbacks, but mm. that she's been able to mentally come through mm. and fight back stronger, and that has only made her a better yep. person, a stronger athlete, and that will continue to, for, to, for her to grow. And she's got great, she's got great supportive parents as well who have been there from day, well, obviously day one, but really supported her all along, <laughs> yeah. and they're really yeah. So no, it's a, it is a yeah. great. Her story. dad was fourth mm. in the uh, the Herald Sun Tour one year. He was a good rider back in the day. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Very good. Oh, yeah. And uh, another Aussie of, um, you know, uh, having a, a few headwinds to get through. Um, Caleb had a breakthrough win. I'm not sure. I don't know if we, I'd sort of say it was maybe a Hawthorne crit sort of level in Australian cycling. <laughs> oh, but I'd uh, probably say Hellride. Hellride? I'd put Hellride above Hawthorne. So Caleb won the first stage of uh, Overman. Of, of and it sounded a bit weird, Hollywood, because, um, and Scott, you've watched a huge amount of cycling. So, you know, I, I know you, you, where you'd stand with this, but it sounded a bit, it sounded like Jayco picked their team before they knew what, um, and I heard Luke Platt saying this, what they knew what the courses were for Oman because it was really only one sprint 
on that in that yeah. tour, and they had the full lead out. So I know. you know they he really to needed to get that. But we know that Caleb. He he. Once he wins, he can get on a bit of a roll, and 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 nothing's greater for a sprinter than confidence. It meant a lot to him. You saw him when he crossed the line. He really, you could see with that fist pump, and he really needed and wanted that. So yeah, hope that kicks out something. Mm. Well, the team had a lot of pressure in um at the Alula at Alula oh, before yeah. that as well, yeah. didn't they? And they got the overall win with with Yates. So that was that was good. Just um, but for Caleb and so I used to race with his dad back in the day years and years ago. Um, I've got an wow. interesting yeah, wow. I have an interesting story about his dad I've, I've always used his father as an example um long story short how much time we got i'll try and keep it short all right we've got time good. Mate. No, got so, story. Um, Tell a story. so back in the day when i was a, a queenslander so i grew up racing in queensland on the gold coast and and his father mark is from bundaberg really little guy back then really little guy and going through the the, the, the junior racing i was pretty developed quite tall for a kid and we get into the road races and, you know, he, he would attack on the hill and I'd go with him, not a problem, and then beat him in the sprint. And then later in the season, he would attack on the hill and I'd struggle to go with him, but get there and then beat him in the sprint. And then the next year, you know, the same sort of thing would happen and would get harder and harder. And I kept thinking to myself, if he sticks at the sport, you know, this, this kid, as he grows and gets more development, we won't be able to follow him. He will attack on the hills and we'll never see him again. And then he stopped. So he won a national team time trial championship as a as an under 19 a junior um and then left mm-hmm. the sport and i said i, I used wow. to use him so it disappeared he, he didn't, wasn't around cycling at all for a very long time and i would explain to to, to little kids or right, to little guys in in racing that just persevere you know and i'd tell this story about this guy that that I believe would have been really good had he just kept at it and just stuck at it for a bit longer and let him, you know, grow into his body a little bit. And once the races got longer and the climbs got longer, he would have won stuff. He was really good, but he disappeared. So we never got to know. And anyway, I went to a track national championships in Sydney one year and I'd heard all these stories about this young kid from New South Wales called Caleb Ewan. Didn't make a connection at all. Um, And, you know, his mother is Korean, right? So I get to and I've seen him race, but then I get to the national championships this year. And as I walk in, Caleb was at the entrance of the velodrome. And I see, you know, this little Korean kid, you know, Caleb. And uh, and he said, oh, Scott, my dad wanted to say hello. He said to say hello. And I said, oh, who's your dad? He said, Mark. I'm like, Mark? Oh, Mark Ewan. Oh, Mark Ewan's your dad, right? So gone full circle and, you know, he'd come back wow. in. I said, oh, my God, I used to use your father as a bloody example. If he'd stuck at the sport, you know, once he got older, he would have he would have won stuff. So, yeah, it was in his genes. He was always going to be a good athlete. His father was very good. He just quit the sport way way too early. Um, big question mark still, I think, over Caleb. You know, you're that right. You're right about that win. It was awesome that he got it and he can only beat who you're up against. Um, but you know, he, he knows there's a question mark. Now he's back in Europe. He needs to win something there. Um, and I hope he does. He's, he's a super fast rider. He's a good kid. So yeah, he's not a kid anymore, but, um, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he can get a good win in Europe just to prove that he's back. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, as you say, Scott, sticking with it, he is persevering. Uh, at the moment for sure um and so uh this is just a little segment we do scott which is our fashion corner hollywood alperson phoenix 
uh, Alison de Kunick, sorry, they yes. launched their randomly new kit uh, despite the season sort of already starting. Your thoughts on the double denim? <laughs> fantastic. Done, well, Absolutely fantastic. Denim. Done before we know in the 90s yeah, yeah, from Carrera. Yeah. We know that. We know I've got it. I wore it on Friday actually just as a tribute. But, no, I think it's great. Dare to be different and I love it. It's taking it back to the 80s and 90s when kit used to stand out as our guest wore the greatest kit of all time. For those who don't know, you're living under a rock. Scott Road for Mapai, and that is arguably, or in my opinion, certainly the greatest cycling kit of all time, the goat of kit. So, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, the Carrera was uh, in my top 10 of all time as well. But, yeah, it's good to see Alfison do it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm wrapped, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Now, I've, I've seen you, Hollywood, wearing the mm. full Mappe kit. Okay, now I'll give you a quick story. So yes. you've got the... Um, for those that don't know, it's you know it's the coloured cubes. Now, I was yes. so 2002. We changed from uh, 2001 was sportful clothing, and then it changed to yep. uh, Santini in 2002, and that's when the really colourful stuff came out. And mm-hmm. I got I was racing the six days in the European winter, so I was one of the first to get the full kit and go to an event um, with the full kit, which had the leg warmers, arm warmers, long-fingered gloves, shoe covers, everything was the full Mappe cubes. Oh. And I've seen you um, riding around in winter yeah. with the full cubes as well. Now, yes. what happened though, because it's, it's fairly limited, the leg warmers in particular, very limited, because some of the older guys in the team, when they first got that kit, they said, no way! This is too much. It's too much, and they forced the, they forced Santini <laughs> to make new leg warmers just plain blue, because they didn't want to. Uh, they didn't want to have the full cubes uh, on absolutely everything. They felt like they just needed the shoes with the turn upturned at the end with bells on them and look like court jesters. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah. the older guys in that play for two thousand two, they make sure they, they they toned it down a little bit by getting the leg warmers changed. Yeah. Well, those booties I got those Map IQ booties, which are so rare, like they're. And they're a size 42 and I've ripped a shit out of them because I'm a size 46. <laughs> but so they never come for sale. They never come for sale. So if they can't, you're just going to take it and just hope you can stretch them. But I can't wear them. They're ripped. Both zips are ripped and they're just ripped to the shit ass. But, yeah, I just uh, they're so rare, the, cubes, the cube overshoes. I've got the plain blue ones you're talking about with the map I quick step on them. But I do also, or they're probably gone now, the cubes. Everything's in storage now. All my kids in storage, but um, or most of it. So yeah, that that is the go to kits. So I'm ha- going back to Alpherson. Hats off to him. I've been arguing with some guys on the GCN YouTube page saying it's disgusting and who signed off on it. But I just think, guys, you dickheads, you got no idea. This is quality. It looks great. It stands out. It's got people talking. Companies and businesses sponsored teams to get exposure, and this gets exposure. So no, yeah. hats well, look, off. look at um, look and at Asian Two R. You know when they changed and they took the bl- the brown out. So when the brown first came in, brown yes. shorts, everyone, mm. oh my god, baby poo brown shorts. That's terrible. Yeah, I've but then when they got, got rid so of them, unique. yeah, when they got rid of them, everyone's like, oh no, yeah. you got rid of the brown. Oh. Boring. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, they look very boring. But talking about Bright Kit that delivers sponsors, Hollywood, Honan Insurance's kit for the Three Peaks. How are you oh, looking yes. for Three Peaks? Oh, uh, yeah, the Three Peaks kit, if I uh, wore it the other day, you might have seen it. it's got an answer. It's just bright pink. It's their, And, look, their brief to us, well, Bison Network, was we want a kit that really stands out so when it's up the road we can see it. And so... Obviously, I got involved. We had a, 
like less than a week to do it and um, we got it done, but it was, uh, it, that is actually a toned down version tills because the original version was even brighter than that. So, and the funny story <laughs> about this, was was, yeah, it was just more hot pink, more fluoro pink than magenta. But the funny thing is how that kit design came about was from Lawrence Basil, who's uh, I think the CFO at Honan. He was at the lounge at um, the airport board and he was asking ChatGPT to design 80s kits and there was about 10 that got spat out and he sent them through and that one that we've used wow. had potential and then we workshopped it with the manu- you know the guys who yeah, did it yeah. and it's come out amazing and, and we've got full which hasn't been seen yet we've got full matching pink and leg warmers and arm warmers so it's full on so it's going it, to have the good brief. form you got to have good form <laughs> to wear that stuff i yeah, thought maybe yeah, the brief was because do. it's three it peaks and you're going up over falls and hotham i thought maybe if there was a, an early snowstorm you could still see that kit there's a safety <laughs> thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's uh, and then the, yeah, that, that is true. The true, but next year we'll have to do it again because Honan's uh, part of Marsh now. So I guess we'll have to do a new one next year. So I'll try and make it brighter again. And is it looking good? And obviously we had the big news that Mark O'Brien was going. Is he going sub seven? Yeah, he's going to try and go sub seven. Just it's just about, remind think, everyone Hollywood of the the distance and the elevation that he's trying to do that in. Oh, it, it is two hundred and thirty five kilometers and four and a half thousand meters of elevation. It's in three weeks' time. I think it's like ninety six percent sold out. So there's still a few tickets around. So if you want to get it, you know, go to Bicycle Network and get one. But uh, yeah, it's looking good. Didn't run last year for the first time in I think twelve years because. Uh, uh, the landslides, it survived through COVID, mm. just timing had it. It survived through the COVID times and a landslide knocked it out last the year. But great landslide. Yeah. yeah, the team's mm. been up there, I know Ali was saying, and the, the course is looking great and everything's in place. So now I'm looking forward to it in three you weeks' You see Marco time. had another and win. So Scott- yeah, Marco had another win on the weekend. Oh, yes, yeah. he did. $1,000 in the pocket. Yeah, it's good yeah. because it's justifying, I imagine, to his wife that he's allowed to keep going to these events if he comes home with a check. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but Scott, just just finally, um, you have been uh, the race director of Nationals at Ballarat for a number yes. of years and it's now, um, you know, shipping over, uh, shipping or going on a train, who knows, um, to <laughs> WA. Perth. Your thoughts on Nationals being in Perth and your potential involvement in that and how you see that working so early in January? Yeah, um, so there's a couple of things that went on here is is that Ballarat have been amazing, obviously, for so long. And the, they're, they're, realistically, they're not going to do it forever, okay? They, they, we're thinking that perhaps there's, you know, something else that they might start to focus towards. And they were still quite interested to, to keep the Nationals, but then... Perth put their hand up. So there was, um, and with the size of the event, the budget of it, very few, if really no other areas had actually put their hand up to uh, to host it at the same level that Ballarat had been doing so until Perth came along. So the idea is that three years over in Perth, and, and you really have to do multiple, wherever you go, you have to do multiple years. It's not like in Europe, there's always that conversation around, you know, European national championships are in a different town every year. So, yeah, but but we just cannot do that. It's just not like that in Australia. Um, so each council needs a couple of years to get some real buy-in and get some understanding and get development and growth and exposure um, for their particular event. And we are already talking to Ballarat about bringing it back to, to Ballarat for a number of years. Um, and I know you, you sigh, Lee, but is there anywhere else? That's the thing, okay? 
Now, no, no, I, I, I no, no. Let's let me say this because you will be able to answer this and and clear clear it for me. Why, like, I don't mind Ballarat, but why is it the same every year? Why not run it reverse or run something different out there? Why is it always just the same every what year? What would well, what's wrong with it? That's the first thing. Tell me what's wrong with it. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Not saying there's anything wrong, but it just it suits a certain rider. Why not run it different? Just do something different, like run it in the reverse or run a, a different part of Ballarat. I just, I don't mind so much it's in Ballarat all the time, even though I feel sorry for the guys coming into state, but just do something different. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And you would know why that's not the case. I, I don't. Yeah. So I'm just, uh, it's a yeah. genuine first, question. First reason why is cost. So so when we had the time right. trial, one year we had the time trial around the lake, and it went out, um, went out and back, mm-hmm. and then came into the laps of the lake. Fantastic, really beautiful, dead flat, and all the local residents cracked it. They just up in arms about road closures. So, okay, so right, so we've got to find a, a, a road or a loop, both road race and time trial, that you can close for a certain amount of time without, with minimal impact on local residents, um, and in particular local businesses, and that's where Bunnyong suits really well right the road closures now you've got geelong road um, when you're coming in towards the finish you come down geelong road but there is other ways to get around bunning yong um from ballarat so you don't you can close that particular road but they still have an alternate way around if they're going down towards geelong so that's a major a major thing um and the cost of road closures is enormous mm. absolutely enormous and it's only going up i know from Stuart o'grady in adelaide from pre to post covid his just basic costs for tour down under went up twenty five to thirty percent. Um, you know, very few businesses can sustain that kind of increase. The price hike, no. So that's a big factor it, of it. It's um, the same with uh, around the bay, forty percent for the road yeah. closures and that. For so, the Scott, bay. will you be involved in Perth? Um, I'm expecting so to. It's be. sounding like it's already coming back before it's before it's run. run oh well, no, it, it, look, nothing's confirmed for Ballarat. It's just that the I, look ideally yep. in my head, what would be an ideal situation is you do three years in Perth, three years in Ballarat, and then you've got at least two yep. years somewhere in Queensland, if perhaps not on the actual Olympic yes. uh, road race course. Mm. You, they'll, they'll need to do some kind of test event anyway. So why not let's make that the national yep. championships? Um, yeah, and give us an advantage. Yeah, yeah. So know. there will be yeah, a test event regardless. So at least we could do at least two editions of our nationals leading into the Olympic Games. Um, it, that sounds easier said than done because, you know, Olympic road race with the amount of road closures and the places that they do start and finish events like an Olympics is a bit different. You know, it's like going to the Champs-Élysées, Champs-Élysées every every year for the Tour de France. You know, you're not going to have their national championships on the Champs-Élysées. You know, they're just not going to be able to afford to do that in, in France. Um, but that would be the idea. So we shop it around a little bit, but, um, you know, utilise the fact that we do have the Olympics coming. I am not confirmed in my role as race director, but I am hopeful, um, and at least we have some consistency by having someone like myself go across there as well and help out the team because it, it is a completely new team from Perth that will be running it with uh, GTR Events who were the events company previously. They are now out of cycling. The Nationals were the last cycling event oh, that really? they have conducted. Um, they're doing they do Equitana in Melbourne for those people that know. It's the equine industry huge biannual event that they do at the showgrounds um, and they're heavily involved in uh, in caravan and camping shows now and a, a couple other things, but they're out of cycling. So you'll have a lot of people doing something for the first time, fresh, at a national t- uh, championship level. So I think it's advantageous to have 
you know, a couple of people at least that have been involved for a, a long time Definitely. just to make sure it is consistent. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of new things going on for national championships. Yeah. But, uh, Scott, i got to uh, wrap us up. But I, um, uh, will, you, will you be involved with uh, Channel 7 or whoever's doing it for the Olympics um, Yeah, Channel 9 this year. So Channel 9 have brought through 9, until sorry. 2032. So that's summer and winter Olympics through to Brisbane. And I'm, I'm commentating the road track, mountain bike and BMX. Uh, BMX racing. Wow. Yeah, so. Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. You. Yeah. So yeah. I did that. Um, wow. Yeah. That's unreal. I was going to ask whether you could come on <laughs> during that. We might have to get you just before the games, <laughs> but I think it would be helpful to have you back on, particularly for Hollywood and I to just talk about, um, you know, the like, give us a bit of a brief on what's happening with the track, who to look out for, um, and just do a bit of a preview for us, particularly as well with the BMX. That's that's um, big metal hopes for for us and not not a, you know, Hollywood dresses like a BMX rider but doesn't ride one. So it would be, um, yeah, it would be great to have you back on um, to join us around before that. But, yeah, congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm also um, involved. Well, the only thing I'm not doing from the cycling perspective is BMX freestyle. So I'll, I'll get two days off. While the BMX freestyle is on, but that—that's you know—that's a different sport. That's that's a different, yeah. completely <laughs> yeah. different sport. So it's probably for the best, yeah. mate. For the best. <laughs> yeah. You have to start wearing your hat backwards. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you go over? Yeah, the, so, do you go over there? Uh, well, and this is a mixed bag. So for Tokyo, because of the pandemic, no commentators went over. Uh, whereas for for this oh, one for Paris, so yes. So I will be on the on the ground. Oh, great. Um, okay. However, things like and I don't know for sure, but things like the road race. Um, and maybe even mountain bike, we might do that from the International Broadcast Centre, not on location, but we'll be in Paris but perhaps not at the venue. Track cycling, we're definitely yeah, going to be at the venue, which is a big advantage, especially with all those definitely. races that you don't understand, Lee. It is better to be um, at mm. the track to be, to be able to oh, see yeah. beyond. Because what typically when you're at the International yes. Broadcast Centre, um, you know, whether the guys commentating the Tour de France from Australia, you're, we're only seeing what everyone at home is seeing. Um, so to be at the venue, yep. you, you so can Scott, step back. to use just to help Lee, you've got to explain it like an AFL analogy. So when they're doing the Madison or whatever it might be, you need it, it's not about what you're seeing on TV. You got to be there in person, see the whole field. Yeah. That's what. You- <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Madison, like there might be one fast guy, and we'll say he's the full forward. You know, he's like the their go to forward. I'll, I'll say things like that just so that you understand. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> Scott. Thanks so much for joining Carlton us. Carlton will be up and about this year. Just we're going to oh, talk AFL. Settle down. Nah, get, on the, down get on the Eagles, down. mate. Get on the Eagles. Don't be ridiculous. Um, Who do you break for, Matilda? Matilda, just before we close, who do you break for? Well, I've been a little bit quiet lately, Richmond, but I was very loud a few years ago. You've had success. You've had success. So you're all right. No, thanks so much for joining us, Scott. Massive thank you to Hone and Insurance, Audmanet, and of course, Black Sheep Cycling and Johnny behind the scenes who will have to pull this together. Um, Scott, good luck for the Olympics and uh, in that lead in. Who knows who will be in the teams? That'll be really exciting to see. I'm also a selector. So. yeah, see, oh, that, gets well, me, that, we'll that, that gets me on Wade's list. Send in your bribes. Wow. <laughs> oh, get you on Wade's list. Send it oh, in. That, that is influential. Yeah. That should be number oh, one. Definitely. Oh, geez, selecting I riders that. that I want to commentate wow. on at, at the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Names you can yeah. pronounce. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so is that just, is that for, you're a selector just for track? Just for track, yeah. Yeah, so Scott, they, we, they put out road, nominations yeah, yeah. and I, I wow. nominated for 
uh, track and, and road. Oh, fair enough. Um, you watch so much of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know. Mm. And you know it. You know what yeah, to look so for. so I've been a yeah. national selector for, you know, I was part of selecting the uh, the Tokyo team as well and, and each world championships the last couple of years. So back on again for this year. Wow. Mm. Well, we can have you back on to justify your decisions. Yeah, be. yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Definitely. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Tomo, we might have you back some other time. We'll see. Yeah, Tomo, get your shit sorted, Tomo. What are you thinking, you Luddite? <laughs> Scott, thanks for <laughs> thanks, joining guys. us. My pleasure. All right. See you later. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. The Domestics by Black Sheep Sideman.